Hi, this is Philip Holland, host of Hope for the Day. I'm so excited that you are listening and you have this to look forward to from today's message. And here's the thing, as many of us, we try to hold our lives together with our discipline and our work ethic and maybe our own ingenuity. We try to hold our lives together by depending on others. We depend on our parents, we depend on our kids, we depend on a spouse, we depend on a job, we depend on how much ever money we have in our bank account. And that's what's holding us together until it doesn't. And when it stops holding us together, then we start searching for something that is gonna hold us together. And here's the thing, is that you gotta have Jesus at the center of your life or else there's gonna come a point in which things aren't gonna line up and things are gonna start to fray and come apart. Welcome to Hope for the Day with Pastor Philip Holland. In psychology, there's a concept known as a keystone habit. A keystone habit is a habitual behavior which influences numerous areas of our life without being directly connected to them. For example, studies have shown that if you exercise regularly, you will spend less money. If you make your bed in the morning, you will have a more productive day. Why is that? Because those behaviors are keystone habits. What is the greatest keystone habit that is sure to improve every area of our life? Well, the answer is not a what, it's a who. The who is Jesus. If we make it a habit to have Jesus in our lives, he will influence every area of our life for the better. He is the ultimate keystone habit. In the series, Jesus And, we will be exploring how Jesus can influence different areas of our lives. We will tackle topics like Jesus in our possessions, Jesus in our generosity, Jesus in our voting, Jesus and our church, Jesus in our government. We hope this series encourages you to experience the change that Jesus wants to make in your life. Now, we've been in this sermon series that's entitled Jesus And. And as we've been going through this sermon series, Jesus And, we've talked about a variety of different, uh, different parts of our lives. And today, we're going to be honing in, on, honing in on the church. Now, the verse that inspired or is inspiration behind this series is found in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. And this is what it says there, that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Who's the him? Jesus. The hymn is Jesus. And we've got these nice wristbands out there that you can get one of those. And it has this verse on the wristband. It's just a memory verse that you want to keep Jesus, the one holding your life together. And we need that. And we're all familiar with sort of adhesives and different glues. And so you've got like the Elmer's glue, which is sort of that baseline glue. And then the next step up is probably super glue. And then if that's not strong enough, then you go to more of like a uh, let me see, like a Gorilla Glue, and then past that, you go to some sort of an epoxy, and then past that, you're looking at like mortar, you know, whatever you, and the more valuable something is, the stronger the glue, the adhesive is that you're going to use. The more, um, the more precious something is to you, or the stronger the adhe- the, the more precious something is to you, the more you want to protect it, and so you're going to use a stronger adhesive. And there isn't anything more, more precious in our lives than really our lives, in the lives of those around you. And here's the thing, as many of us, we try to hold our lives together with our discipline and our work ethic and maybe our own ingenuity. We try to hold our lives together by depending on others. We depend on our parents, we depend on our kids, we depend on a spouse, we depend on a job, we depend on how much ever money we have in our bank account. And that's what's holding us together until it doesn't. 
And when it stops holding us together, then we start searching for something that is going to hold us together. And here's the thing, is that you got to have Jesus at the center of your life or else there's going to come a point in which things aren't going to line up and things are going to start to fray and come apart. And I've seen that, we have seen that with flying, we've seen that with, fly, I mean, in flying colors, it's been stood out to, it's been so prominent over these last several months as mental health issues have increased, substance abuse issues have increased, domestic abuse is on the rise, divorce rates are higher than ever, and churches are closing like never before, and are certainly on the path to shut down like never before. And this, if anything, this was, if there was ever a time, if there's ever been a time, the time is now that we realize Jesus is the one that we need at the center of our lives, holding us together. The world needs the church to be active, to be vibrant, to be willing to go into it, to share hope where there's despair, light where there's darkness, love where there is hate. That's why we are here. That's why we are gathering. And, and I've seen that in people's lives as, as the gathering stopped and as people were still trying to sort through what it is that was going on around us in the world as we started doing stuff outside and people's attention this was even more sporadic. What we realized is there, there was all of those issues started increasing. And what I realized out of the result of that is we need this, this time to gather. We might even say to maybe receive our directives from the Lord to then go out into the world and to be hope, to be light, to be love. And that's what Jesus really wanted for the church, wanted for us when he started it all in Matthew chapter 16. Because it's there that we find the use of the word church in the Bible for the first time. And what we're going to see as we look into this is we're going to see there's many things that we can see out of this text. But there's two specific things that are going to help us to allow Jesus to be the center of our church. To be the center of our lives. And this is where the text picks up in Matthew chapter 16. And so when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so there's going to be this compare and contrast. And we don't know exactly how it all took place, but we can kind of imagine Jesus is walking along with his disciples. It's probably this rather casual moment. He is heading to Jerusalem, but it's this moment in which he's going to take advantage of a chance to teach the disciples. In order to teach them who he really is, he needs to contrast that with who the world says he is. And so he says, who do they say that I am? And some of them said a, a prophet. Some of them said a good teacher, a nice guy. But what Jesus is going to teach him is that he's so much more than that. And he has to be so much more than that to us. Because it doesn't really matter who they say he is. Although we need to be aware of it. We need to be aware of who a, a Muslim says that Jesus is. Or we need to be aware of who a Hindu or a Buddhist says that Jesus is. You need to be aware of who an agnostic or an atheist says that Jesus is. But ultimately, the only person that matters... When it comes to ultimately who will matter the most when it comes to who Jesus is, is who you are going to say he is. Because who they say he is does not affect your destiny. Only who you say he is does. And so Jesus flips the question. And he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, very you know, calm and collecting himself. He raises his hand. He waits his turn. No, no, no. Peter never did that. If you don't know who Peter is, he's impulsive. He's like, just, oh, you just see energy just building up and he just spurts this out, this, this statement, this phrase, this confession. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. He's like, ah, oh, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're the Christ. Ah. And then the disciples are looking at him and they're thinking, where'd that come from? And Jesus says, well, this is where that came from. 
Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be well, we'll be loosed in heaven. And so he's, 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 there's so much in this text. There's so much that he's saying here. But essentially what we have to catch for this, this few moments that we have together is that this is like this inconsequential moment, probably even an inconsequential fa- phrase to them in this instance. And they're just traveling along and Matthew's doing his gospel thing. And he's like, hold on, wait a second. What was that? What did he say? Who's Jesus in the gates of Hades? John, what's your translation? I mean, we, we don't really know how it all went down. But what we do know is this is that Jesus made a prophecy and we are the fulfillment of that prophecy to this day. That even though empires have expanded and contracted and kingdoms have risen and fall and kings have been in office, uh, on the throne and off the throne and presidents have been in office and out of office and even though there have been persecutions and death and crucifixions and burnings, the destruction of, of the sacred scriptures, even though all of that has taken place and so much more, more than we can even imagine, we are still the fulfillment of this prophecy because what he's telling us in this moment is that no matter what comes up against the church, the church is always going to prevail. Thank you for tuning in to Hope for the Day. Our mission is to offer you hope through Christ-centered biblical preaching. We certainly hope this broadcast is doing just that for you today. You might not know this, but each of these sermons are recorded live at Valley View Christian Church in the Denver metropolitan area. If you live in the city, we would love to meet you in person. We offer Sunday services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have programming for children of all ages, dynamic worship, plenty of opportunities to get connected beyond Sundays, outreach initiatives, and much, much more. And do you want to know why we do all that we do? Because so much of our church leadership has had their life changed by a local church. Because it is here that we met Jesus, and He changed our lives. And we want Jesus to change your life as well. So attend a service at Valley View Christian Church. We'd love to meet you personally. We're located just south of Highlands Ranch off of Highway 85 Santa Fe. You can go to our church's website, valleyviewcc.com, for more information. Now let's get back to our program. And so how do we become the church that we're supposed to be? How do you become the people that you are supposed to be, the person that God calls you to be? Well, the first thing that we see in this passage, and again, there's only two I'm going to point out, is this. What Jesus is honing in on here and what he's kind of springing all this prophecy of his off of is who people say Jesus is. Because we must get Jesus right. You have to get Jesus right if you're going to get your life right. You have to get Jesus right if you're going to get the church right. Because here, here's the thing. You cannot get Jesus wrong and then get the church right. It just doesn't work like that. And so Jesus starts with, who do, who do they say that I am? When I was in college, I had someone come to me, and this wasn't the first time somebody had talked to me about Jesus or asked where I am with, with my eternity. This wasn't the first time, but it was one of the more meaningful times. And they came to me and they just said, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is? And maybe you don't believe in Jesus. Or maybe you're just sort of doubting who Jesus is. Maybe you're very nominal in your faith right now. Who do you say that he is? My guess is your response will be something similar to what those disciples said that people around Jesus were saying about him, because that's what I said. I said, Jesus, well, he's a great guy, amazing teachings. Obviously, he's really helped a lot of people. 
But I don't know about him being the whole savior of, this, of the world thing. And then in that, they said, out of that, they said, you know, that's what I'm most concerned about you is I'm concerned about your eternity because you don't have that faith in him that you need to have. And the conversation got left at that. I mean, it really, I mean, it was so much for me to take on in that moment. I really didn't know what to make of it. But I knew, but what they were essentially telling me was, if you get him wrong, you can't, you can fill in whatever word you want here. You can't get your life right. You're going to have a tough time getting your marriage right. You're going to have a tough time getting your career right. You're going to have a tough time getting everything right if you don't get him right. Because inevitably, things happen. Pandemics take place, job loss transpires, there is a divorce, there is a health issue, and things start pulling you apart. I didn't have him right, I had him wrong. And then what happened out of that is inevitably I started pursuing Jesus, I started looking, I started seeking him out, I started trying to ask questions. And then nine months later, I'm in a pastor's office and I'm professing my faith in Jesus. Because I eventually got there. And then through the course of that, what ended up happening, through the course of that, what ended up happening is that I ended up, you know, ultimately moving into ministry. I allowed Jesus to be the cornerstone of my life. You see in the text there, what did, they, what did Jesus describe um, um, Peter as? He described it, or the confession as? He described the confession as a rock. And Jesus in the New Testament is often described as a cornerstone. And you've heard me say this before, but I have to, it's worth repeating and reiterating periodically. Is that the Bible describes Jesus as a cornerstone. And in this day, in this ancient time, what he's saying is, is that there were, he's referring back to people going into quarries and pulling out marble and granite, and they would chisel out this really large stone, and they would spend, workers would spend the most time on that stone because its, its, its measurements had to be absolutely precise because every stone after that was going to be directed by that cornerstone. And so in these buildings, it was the largest stone. With every structure, it was the most important stone. If it was a little bit off, then that would have compromised the structure that was being built. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the cornerstone of the church. He wants to be the cornerstone of your life. And maybe the question we have to ask is, is, is Jesus the cornerstone really of your life? Or is some compromised version of Jesus the cornerstone of your life? Because when, it's, when he is the cornerstone, then things begin to line up. Things hold together. He holds all things together. It's not to say you won't still deal with difficulty, but it is to say that you'll be able to get through it and hold yourself together. And Jesus is saying, ah, that, that confession, that I'm the Messiah, that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God, that is the cornerstone for the church, for your lives. And whenever we make him the cornerstone of our life, do you know what happens? Transformation. And that's what happened with me. It happened with me to the point to where friends of mine didn't really know what to make of me. It's been a few years, but when I was just moving into vocational ministry, I received this message from a friend of mine that I went to college with. So, so like I said, I didn't know who Jesus was. I thought he was just a good guy. But then through the course of time, I realized, like Peter realized, that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah. And as a result of that, he changed my life. And so I received this message from this girl I went to high school with. She said, just out of curiosity, what happened to you? So she's seeing pictures that I'm posting on social media. She's seeing messages. She's seeing quotes. She's seeing Bible verses. And she's like, what happened to you? I mean, and check this out. I mean, you are the last. So that, just to make sure I didn't miss it. Okay, she put it in all claps. The last person that I ever thought. And she was around some pretty rough people. And I'm the last person. 
that I ever thought would end up serving God the way you do. It's amazing, and I'm really happy you're doing it. But it's just so different. Not that I knew you that well or anything, but you just didn't seem like the type. Okay, that's enough. Talk to you later, Kansas. Or Candace. The last person. You see, when you get Jesus right, what happens is, like the people around you who would say, you'd be the last person that would ever get Jesus right. Um, You become the one that's transformed. And isn't that incredible that Jesus, the power of Christ, the power of his love, the power of his spirit, the regeneration of, of you could be so powerful that people would look at you and be like, that's the last person I ever think would be faithful in pursuing Christ. But somehow he's holding them together and somehow he's doing something in them that nothing in this world could ever do in them. You see, it doesn't matter what they say about you. It doesn't matter what the world says about you. It'll never affect your eternal destiny. What matters about you is what you say about Jesus. And this person wrote me this message and was just essentially reiterating that point that I never would have thought this would happen to you, but it did. And it's, it's incredible what God can do with somebody's life. It's incredible what God can do when we get Jesus right. And he builds a church that nothing can take down. In fact, he builds a gathering that's meant to go out into the world. And that's the second thing that we see from the scripture from Jesus is that we must keep the church a movement. Thank you for tuning in to Hope for the Day. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. I know it has been to others. I recently received a message from a listener of ours who said, thank you for these messages on Hope for the Day. It is encouraging and refreshing to hear biblical-centered teaching that continually points people to Christ. This is one of the several notes that I've received from people that are blessed by our program. That is why we want to continue this program on the radio, but that can only happen through the generous contributions of listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us financially, just go to Valley View Christian Church's website, valleyviewcc.com, and then click on the gift tab there. Once you click on the tab, just designated gift to go to the radio ministry of Hope for the Day. Your gift would be an incredible blessing to this ministry. And as always, we want to meet you personally as well. That is why if you live in the Denver metropolitan area, we want to extend an invitation to you to visit us in person at one of our Sunday services, 9 and 1030 a.m. If you do, please introduce yourself to me, Philip Holland. I'd love to meet you. Now let's get back to the program. Yeah, that's when he uses, he uses this word. It's, it's a Greek word there, and it's known as ecclesia. Let's get to the text here again. He said, on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I'll explain that ecclesia word in a moment, but the gates of Hades. You see, often we view the church as this fortress. We're supposed to hunker down, keep safe, stay comfortable. That's what we're supposed to do. We build big walls. We keep people out. We're supposed to stay safe as we possibly can. But Jesus flipped it. He said, no, no, you're not supposed to hunker down and stay safe. You're supposed to be the one running in and being uncomfortable. That, that as you do that, that actually we think we're the fence and we're the wall and there's a wall, a gate to get into. No, no, that's what darkness is. And we're supposed to go after the gate because the gate is the only way in. See, it's this thing that opens and shuts. It lets you in. And if you want to take your light into that darkness, then you got to go through the gate. And you bang that gate down. You are the battering ram. We are the battering ram. That's what the church is. But you can't be a battering ram if you don't see yourself as a movement. And that's what we have to see ourselves as, as this true ecclesia. A gathering or an assembly of people called out for a specific purpose. And this word was used in a variety of different settings in ancient times. One of them was even a military setting. It was the 
it would be used in the context of soldiers coming together, gathering for a purpose, getting their directives, and then going out into the world and fighting the battle. They would go out into the world. They would take this little bit of light they had and they would batter down that gate and shine it into the darkness. It's like friends of mine. They, they lived in a, um, a, a 1,600 square foot townhouse. Four kids. I mean, that's unbelievable. Three bedrooms. So the kids are all sharing bedrooms. And they've got this light. And they're saying, Jesus, what are we supposed to do with this light that we've got? And they said, well, let's, we, don't, you know, we don't have any room in our house, so let's, let's uh, foster a few kids. Isn't that what you do? I mean, you're already uncomfortable, so let's make yourself even more uncomfortable. No, we don't do that. We, like to, we, like, we try to fight our way into being more comfortable. But you can't take light into darkness if you're not willing to get a little uncomfortable. And so what they did is they fostered, they've been fostering for the last four years at least two kids at a time. And so they, they bring two more kids into their home. It becomes even more uncomfortable. And why do they do that? Because they're taking this little bit of light and they're battering down the darkness that was in those kids' life. That's what happens when you're the church. And when we gather the goal is for you to get that kind of a directive, to get that kind of inspiration, motivation to go out into the world. And we see that in the Hebrew that they even, or in the Septuagint, whenever they describe the people of Israel, which the Septuagint is the Greek version of the Old Testament, they would describe the people of Israel as an ecclesia, that even though they're moving around, even though that they were dispersed through exile, they were still an ecclesia because they were seen as God's people going out, demonstrating God to the world. And that's why you often see in the Bible, God's people directed with a go, 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 go. This is what it says. Abraham, God says, Abraham, go to the land I will show you. Moses, go to the Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. David, go and build a temple, which actually just ended up fundraising. And then Solomon built the temple, but that's another story. Jonah, go to the city of Nineveh. Jesus to the disciples, go and make disciples. Jesus again to the disciples, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost regions of the world. And what do we go and do? Man, you just display God to the world. And we lose sight of that purpose, but that's the purpose that we see in Ephesians chapter three. How would you expect God's wisdom to be shown to the world? Well, Ephesians three says, God, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, there are angels just peering over God's shoulders, trying to see his notes, see what his plan is, looking at the blueprint. God, how are you going to bring it all together? And then there's the church and, he's, and they're left saying, this is it? This is how it's coming together? And then Paul writes and he says, Church in Ephesus, you are supposed to go out into the world and display God to the world, that the manifold wisdom of God is meant to come into the world through you. And so when I see that, I'm thinking, wow, that's incredible. That's unbelievable. It's impossible for us to do too much. Even though we look back and we're saying, well, we did a lot. We look back and we say, man, I'm pretty tired and exhausted. No matter where you're at, you can't ever do enough because the wisdom of God his omnip all of his omnipotence is meant to be displayed through you, through all of you and me. And so what happened to us? Where have we gone off? Why are there churches closing? There were churches closing before the pandemic. Well, we went from being the ecclesia of God to being what's now known and, and what we know as is the German phrase. We went from the ecclesia of God to the church of man. Kirch is where we get the word church from, which literally means the house of the Lord. 
And this word was primarily motivated from, man, what happened when Constantine legalized Christianity. You see, up until then, we were this, Christians were this sect of people that were special, where we were set apart, we were unique, we were peculiar. And when, I mean, you think we got it bad with the pandemic. I mean, they're dealing with plagues. People were, I mean, if you got it, you were dead within a few weeks. And what were the Christians doing that nobody could make sense of? Well, all of the Romans are running away from those villages where the plagues were. And the Christians were running into them. And there's letters of these governors writing to one another saying, how are we supposed to get rid of these people when they love others so well? They're the ones going and taking care of these people who are dying. They have no fear for their own lives. Even though we persecute them, even though we destroy their scriptures, this church just keeps growing. That was the ecclesia. And then it was about a decade after Historically speaking, approximately about a decade after Constantine legalized Christianity that we gave way to more of a church. And we went from being a people to a place, went from being a movement to a meeting. And as a result of that, we lost some of our purpose. We lost the urgency. We lost the significance that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be displayed to all of the world. And here's what happens whenever Christians settle for just being the church of man and not the ecclesia of God. You know what happens? To learn more about this sermon, sermon series, or other messages, please visit our church's website at valleyviewcc.com. You can also find these radio segments on the Hope for the Day, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Valley View Christian Church is located just south of Highlands Ranch off of Highway 85, Santa Fe. We provide services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. This broadcast is made possible through generous contributions of listeners like you. If you'd like to partner with us financially, just go to our church's website and then click on the gift tab there. We look forward to having you join us again next time on Hope for the Day.